Many funds put their assets directly into securities such as shares and bonds, but some invest in other funds. These include Might and Global Opportunities, which is run by Nick Greenwood and Charlotte Cuthbertson, by whom I am joined today. Nick, Might and Global Opportunities mainly invest in other investment trusts. Why do you invest in these rather than directly investing in assets? The specification of the trust is to invest in, in investment trusts. And what we're really looking for is investment trusts which have fallen below the radar screen that are mispriced. Very often that's just simply that they trade at a significant discount to the value of the underlying portfolio. So we're we're looking to exploit anomalies in the investment trust world. And obviously uh, an investment trust share price is decided purely by the balance of supply and demand and as a result can move a long, long way from the from the value of the underlying assets. Okay, so is this the reason why you favour investment trusts over unlisted funds? Unlisted funds, as in OICs, unit trusts, don't have this normally because they are they are simply priced once a day. And if you want to buy units, um, uh, you know, you you simply get allocated units at the value of the underlying portfolio. The big difference between the two is that the closed ended fund, the investment trust, is protected from inflows and outflows, which means the manager can put more conviction into his portfolio. He doesn't have to worry. Uh, that uh, he's going to get a wave of uh, redemptions at any moment, uh, and you know, he, therefore he can he can stick with investments until it's the natural time to sell, rather than uh, always trying to keep an eye behind him. You know, to, to uh, the fear of suddenly getting redemptions and having to run a much more liquid portfolio. So investment trusts tend to outperform uh, open endeds. The downside is, I sometimes say they're not particularly user friendly because they're difficult to buy and sell, but they are worth the effort. Now, are there any particular kinds of investment trusts that you target? Well, we look at everything. Uh, I mean, this week we've been focusing on or, or, or looking at a lot of Eastern European funds, Latin American funds, um, social housing funds. It's a, there's a vast array of uh, asset classes that are, that are covered. So we're really looking for things that are doing a solid job. But for whatever reason, they've fallen below the radar screen. There'd be more sellers and buyers and we can buy them cheaply. Okay. And um, does Might and Global Opportunities have um, a particular aim by investing in these trusts? Yes. I mean, I suppose the focus is we're sort of deep value, special situations. Um, I suppose opportunistic is is our natural style. Okay. So um, in, in view of that, I mean, what role could Might and Global Opportunities play in an investor's portfolio? As a diversifier. We're invested in lots of different kinds of asset classes, whether that's mining, property, the traditional equities. So this is giving exposure for investors into asset classes they might not normally have an opportunity to invest in. Um, And we also have very low correlation with with mainstream indices, which also means that the fund moves quite different to your sort of normal equity funds. That brings me on to my next question. I mean, your aim is to be a cash benchmark, but the fund does invest in equities, property, private equity and other risks assets. Is this a fair comparison? I think looking back to the, I suppose, the invention of of Might and Global back in, I suppose, a lot of the work was done around 2000. Um, It actually launched in around 2003. At that time, there was much more focus in the investment community on benchmarks, tracking error, and therefore it was perceived that risk was straying away from the benchmark. But benchmarks are incredibly dangerous places. And, you know, this was a time when um, Vodafone took over management. It rose to being 14% of the market. And if you're interviewing UK fund managers at the time, they would, they would ask them, which stock in the FTSE do you hate the most? And they would, they would say Vodafone. 
But the way they uh, uh, incorporated that bearishness into their portfolio was to have 10% of the portfolio in Vodafone, and that would be underweight, and that would be regarded as taking a bearish view. I think where we're coming from, if, if you know, I was an advisor and trying to explain to an investor that um, I'd put 10% of their life savings into the shares I thought they would, that would fall the most, they would struggle to understand it. And it was that world of just, you know, the reality is, and we'd never describe it, but at that time we did, it's really an absolute return fund. We're looking to make a positive gain, po- positive profits. And if you're not remotely interested in um, having an investment that drops 5% if the index drops 15 and therefore it, it's coming from that world. Obviously, in the decade or so since we, we developed this this trust, the concept of absolute return has moved on from not slavishly following a benchmark um, to actually we won't lose you any money in any environment. And that's certainly not what we do. We're perfectly capable of using, losing you money in any environment. OK. I mean, how successful has the fund been in outperforming uh, its benchmark? Well, actually, you know, over the last 10 years, um, it's been a fairly easy benchmark to beat because we've been in a, in, a, in a multi-year bull market. But the returns have been very, very strong, particularly in the last five years. We had a very strong 2016 and very strong 2017. And I think Charlotte's actually got some actual figures here. That, uh... Yeah, so over the past three years, our NAV has risen around 53%. Uh, share price has risen around uh, 71%. So we've had some very strong returns over the past three years. Slightly ahead of our cash benchmark, but the concept, as as I said before, is um, is not being slave, not slavishly following any any benchmark. When you look to add a new holding to Mighton Global Opportunities, what sort of features do you look for? We're looking for something where the the market is is not fully reflecting the the value in the underlying portfolio. We're we're looking for something that's that's doing what it says on the tin. It's it's just for whatever reason fallen out of favour. And therefore, we are, you know, we're buying um, deeply discounted assets and we're just tending to, to wait. I mean, the important point here is we've also got to see where the catalyst is going to come from for that discount to narrow. Because if you're buying, there are many trusts you can buy on very large discounts. But unless there's a catalyst for change, some years down the line, you're still going to be holding a piece of paper which trades at a discount to the underlying asset value. So that that's probably the key thing we're looking for is is the catalyst. When deciding whether or not to add one of these um, trusts, um, what's your process? We do the sort of usual um, investment analysis, looking at macro, looking at at the fund itself and what it um, is invested in. Very big part of our process is meeting the management. This is, you know, very important. Be highly unlikely to invest in a trust where we hadn't met management and weren't really um, able to kind of look into the boot and and talk to management and really get a good feel of what they're invested in and their process. Okay, and and what would be an example of a trust you've recently added to Mighton Global Opportunities? Well, funnily enough, the the last two things we've we've added have, are are very different from um, perhaps a, a typical Might and Global stock. We've actually supported an, an, uh, a new issue, which is almost unheard of. It happens occasionally, which was the Merion Fund, and there it's different. It, we we sense that the the stated NAV will lag progress in the portfolio. Mm, is that because it's a private equity? That's right. Trust? I mean, yeah. it'll, it'll revalue maybe once every six months, etc. And the the important point here is that the investment trust world. Up till fairly recently, it was mainly an equity market. Uh, it's moving on to all sorts of alternatives. With an equity portfolio, you run your Bloomberg, you get the NAV, and that's a fair call of what the portfolio is worth. With an alternative, there are different methodologies, or maybe they're just, you know, the NAVs get stale. But the market follows or uses the stated NAV or treats it as gospel. 
and I think with the, with the Merion Fund, we can see a lot of growth coming in, 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 the, in the NAV and that that will lag the progress. And therefore, you know, our estimated estimation of, of where the portfolio is will be well ahead of the, the stated NAV. So the, so the discount is not in the stated um, level it's actually the progress made that is yet to be yet to be reported. In the day job, it quite often is working out what these portfolios are actually worth. The other one we've added recently is uh, biotech growth. Now that's sold off quite aggressively in the fourth quarter. Remember, the markets had a bit of a battering, and, and historically, biotech has been a very volatile sector. And in the last crash, in many cases, the profits were some years in the future. And obviously, when um, people become risk-averse, that kind of situation falls very hard. Today, the, the industry has matured, and, and many of the investments are, are, are now sizable companies with predictable profits, cash flows, earnings per share, more like a general healthcare company. But they've got hit just as hard, and the biotechnology sector got absolutely tanked in the fourth quarter. And they were sort of, sort of opportunistic. We, we, we could see this trading on an enormous discount. The trust has a, um, uh, a buyback policy at, at protecting a discount of, 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 of 6%, but that only comes into play once a week. And in very volatile markets, the shares can fall to a much, much bigger discount. And, and, and therefore, it was a case of the perception. It's an arbitrage between perception and reality. The perception of the sector is still high beta, very risky. The reality is, is, is much more mature than that. And, and that mismatch provided a, a decent opportunity to, uh, to build a new holding. You've recently said that um, you've been attracted by the discounts on London-listed property companies, but isn't there a risk that these discounts are there for a reason, that reason being that UK property will do badly if the UK leaves the European Union? Yes. Now, when we say London-listed, that's where the listing is rather than where the physical assets are. However, the whole sector is priced off. You know, we can understand why um, there's a lot of uncertainty about the, the future of London post-Brexit. But this is also affecting our you know, investments we have in other areas, such as uh, Phoenix Free, which is a, an owner of residential property in, in Berlin, Macau Property Opportunities, which owns upmarket apartments in, in Macau, which is uh, where all the casinos are, and also Birmingham. We have a, a fairly big bet on the, on the Birmingham property market, which has, you know, has benefited from, uh, in some ways, in, in, in weak sterling over the last year or two, being a, you know, a region that has a lot of high-end manufacturing, largely for export. Okay, which fund is uh, focused on Birmingham? Real estate investors. RLE is the, is, is, is the ticker. Recently had their numbers. We estimate the NAV is about 71 pence. The shares are trading around 50-51. Hopefully, before long, they'll be paying a 4p div out of cash flow. But because it's a London-listed stock, it's UK property, you know, the, there is no demand. And actually... Um, we're having to, when we when we're looking at some property stocks, we're 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 having to sort of pinch ourselves because the danger is because property is so hated at the moment and there's a lot of value around. The risk is you you turn yourself into a property fund, and uh, we have about twenty two percent of the fund in property at the moment. What are the risks to the sorts of things you invest in at the moment, and and how are you managing them? I suppose one of the risks is liquidity. Um, because you, 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 you know, one of the problems, and I say that investment trusts are not always user friendly, is the is is you can't actually necessarily buy all the shares or sell all the shares that you that you want. And the beauty there is that Might and Global is itself an investment trust, so we can we can own a lot of these liquid situations. You know, real estate investors, the one we were just talking about, is liquid if you're a buyer, um, but if you're a seller, you you may be trying to sell a few, and then the, when the world becomes more optimistic, 
that swaps round. Therefore, we can take quite a large position because we know we can sit, we can wait until that investment matures, and then we can sell. We're not going to suddenly wake up one day and we've got to, you know, we've got a five million redemption from the fund, and we've got to, we've got to raise that money by lunchtime. I suppose a, a risk in our particular way is that these things take time. Sometimes we know where the catalyst is coming from, but maybe it takes longer to develop than, uh, or, or to come to fruition than, than we thought. Other risks particular to this style of investing, if you can suddenly have a change of manager. You know, if a, if a famous fund manager walks in an open-ended fund, there isn't a sudden plunge in the share price. But if you look at, for example, not one that we own was the River and Mercantile microcap when the uh, fund manager suddenly left last year, um, the shares plunged, you know, completely independent of the value of the portfolio, which obviously wouldn't have changed on, on, on the day. And obviously a classic risk is that, you know, if you own a, an investment trust on a premium and it performs poorly or a major shareholder wants to sell, there is the risk of a, of a discount developing. For what sort of reasons would you sell an investment trust? Um, it may be that we've seen a, a big discount and the catalyst has come to pass and you know what we hope for has, has, has been achieved. Recently, a couple of examples. One, the investment trust, there was a bit of style drift. Uh, the manager started doing something different from what he told us he was doing and that always um, slightly unnerves you, so it's better to sell. And another, sadly, uh, ended up with uh, all sorts of regulatory problems in Japan. Uh, and I think, you know, past experience suggests that uh, once the regulator is is on to you, then um, things aren't going to get better in a hurry. So you may as well sell and, uh, and go find something that, that you feel a little bit more comfortable with. OK, so what would be an example of uh, an investment trust you sold recently? Uh, Aurora is, a, is, is, is an example. We really like what they do on the blue collar research, the value research they do. Things like building models of house building sales, etc. It's you know it's it's a it's a it's a decent process. It's slightly changed, and they've taken significant or taken effectively control of Hornby, the toy train manufacturer, Scale Electric, etc., and also Stanley Gibbons. Now, moving from being a portfolio investor to effectively taking control of a company is something they haven't done in the past. This is a new departure. It may work. It may not. But given that they're trading, you know, we sold the shares at a 4% premium, um, if they get it wrong, the risk of a a 4% premium unwinding and going to a 15 discount and a bit of underperformance, um, you know, can be a toxic combination. So we thought we'd, um, uh, we would, uh, we would move out of the shares. Okay. And um, is is there a cap on the number of holdings you can have? No, I mean, it tends to be a fairly concentrated list. You know, the bulk of the net asset value will be, will be you know, focused on about 30 stocks. But there's no formal cap. Now, Mighton Global Opportunities has a relatively small market cap and amount of assets under management. Are you looking to increase fees? Oh, yes. Uh, global domination is, uh, is, is part of the aim. Um, that said, it is small, but it's a lot bigger than it was. I mean, three years ago, when we brought in a few changes, it was 39 million. Today the market cap is, is is seventy six million, so at least it's it's moving in the right direction. And we've been issuing new shares of of, of late. The changes we made, we changed the capital structure. It was an evergreen trust, which means that you know it, it exists forever, so to speak. Um, and the danger with an evergreen trust is if it falls out of favour, it can go to a big discount, and it's difficult to sell. And that risk puts people off. So we took a bit of a risk and we've changed it. Instead of having a continuation vote, which is a standard investment trust mechanism, which theoretically helps narrow discounts, but in practice doesn't, we've moved that to having a, um, the ability to move into a realisation pool on the same dates we would have had a continuation vote, which means that once every three years, you can put your shares into the realisation pool. 
we then sell those assets and then hand them back to cash, which gives people a roadmap to cash and, and means that, um, apart from this, possibly in the very short term, they're not going to be locked into the investment. They, they do know how they're going to, to exit and in a way other than just selling through the market. And that's, you know, created a bit more demand. We change broker. You know, there is a sort of polarisation of the brokers in the investment trust world. The bigger guys will make price in your shares at a, in, a, in a much larger size. So the stock has become more liquid, which is, again, something that's uh, attracted or, or maybe put off fewer people. And we've also brought in Frostro to do the marketing. Uh, they're specialist uh, um, investment trust marketing house. The reality of most fund management groups, and I think Mighton is no different, is that your sales force are remunerated for shifting open-ended units. And sometimes the, the investment trusts come a little bit orphaned in the, in, in, in the stable. And that has, that has introduced us to all sorts of people that uh, we didn't know before who have, who have, who have bought the shares. Okay, and has that had a beneficial impact on um, the difference between the buying and selling prices of the trust shares, um, the bid offer spread? It all depends. I mean, a bigger effect has actually been the the change of ownership of the sector. As the big wealth managers have retreated because they've become too big to buy individual shares, the self-directed investor has, has largely taken their place and they deal electronically. So the spread can be quite wide, but if there are buyers and sellers, it, it tends to become very narrow. But if you look at the electronic trading, it tends to only be a, a penny apart. And what's happened for a lot of the year is that some of the market makers know they can you know, they can t- they can collect or or ask us to issue more stock. And when they can see they've got you know buyers coming in from the the readers of Shares Magazine, the Investors Chronicle, Money Week, etc., who, who who mention a lot of investment trusts, and the, the turnover happens on quite a tight turn. They seem to be quite happy to take a penny turn. So. I think the narrowness between what people are buying and selling at has come from a change of ownership in the sector rather than anything that we've done. Thank you, Nick and Charlotte. A really interesting insight into might and global opportunities and the alternative assets investment trust sector. That brings us to the end of today's interview, but see the website at investorschronicle.co.uk for more on alternative asset funds and ways to diversify your portfolio. Thank you for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.